We read in Psalms 103, beginning at verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I pause because I want you to consider what we just read. Verse 3, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies, who satisfieth the, thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Alrighty, and I begin tonight's study with a question that's very important. We, we want to know if we're saved, don't we? we, don't, we don't we look through God's Word to find points in His Word that prove to us that we're saved? We never want to look to flesh. We want to never look to our own thoughts, to our own feelings, to our own actions. But we do want to look to God's Word, because the Lord's Word promises there is a people saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to know, Lord, am I one of those? Lord, is it I? And I ask this question, is the grace of the Lord sufficient for you? Is His grace enough for you? Or do you require more? There's a lot of people who've come to this church who've said, oh yeah, I... The Lord's grace is sufficient for me, but I do I do need more than what His gospel is. I do need more than just the preaching of His gospel. I need a, a, de- a deeper study in His Word. Uh, I, I need I need more programs in the church for the children. I need more uh, music in my life. I need I need I need God's people need to ask themselves: Is His grace enough for me, or do I require more? Do you require a sign or maybe a deeper knowledge? In our Lord's own words to the Apostle Paul, recorded for us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, in answering Paul's request to remove a thorn of pestilence, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure, the Lord Almighty answers these words, my grace is sufficient for thee. Is the Lord's grace sufficient for you? Is our great and loving Savior's grace sufficient in your world, in your trials, in your temptations, in your glories? We're not talking about our strength and faith. We're not talking about something of our ability. No, we're talking about His graciousness to us, His chosen people, His blood-bought children, purchased with the price of his own precious blood, trusting him as the sovereign. It, is it sufficient for anything and all things we need? If you've been called of God, if God has shined the light of the world in your heart, the light of his Son in the world in your heart, the answer is without question, yes. To say that he could not be sufficient, whether it be for this or for that, is to say less of who the Master is. It would be to declare Him as something He is not, weak, 
God in all of his attributes is sufficient in all things. Page 2. His sufficiency is always in question to, the, to a soul who lives with an unregenerate heart. One who still walks in the darkness that they are born into. Is, is God able? Is God able to save a sinner as me? Could, could he save a sinner such as I? Is he all sufficient in all things? Or do I need something more? The most powerful revelation of the true and living God is his sovereignty, his sufficiency, his ability, his power over all that is. And that sovereignty, that sufficiency, that ability, that power is always in question to an unregenerate soul. Mankind in their unregenerate state trust in what they can see, what they can do, what they can feel, or what, ha- what they have knowledge of, or what they can buy, because they do not believe the record given of God about His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words in 1 John 5, 7-12. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. So we see the God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That's what the Word is. Remember what it says in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was God. And these three are one, it says. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit. Now, I was talking with somebody the other day who was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what the Spirit does? Spirit never speaks of himself. Spirit always speaks and reveals the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything the Spirit does, that's what he does. Revealing to the Lord Jesus. So we see he's, he's, one, he's the first one listed there as the uh, witness in the earth. The water, we know what that is. That's the word of God. And the blood, the blood of Christ. These three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So we see here, you and I, were right there. We were in that very same state of darkness that the world is, that the unregenerate are. Trusting in our own knowledge, trusting in what we could do, trusting in our feelings, trusting in our wealth, trusting in self, and not trusting Him. Page 3. I beg of you, as it says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 8, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Now there are a couple of different Greek words of the Old Testament that are translated to the word sufficient, and that's our subject tonight, sufficient grace. Is God's grace sufficient for us? One of those words being dehi, or day pronounced day, and it is used to define enough, sufficient, able, much, according, often. 
Here's one way it's used in Malachi 3.10. Bring ye all the tithes in the storehouse that they may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough. And that's the same word there, sufficient to receive it. So he's talking about pouring out blessings, blessings that are so much that there's not enough room for them to have in their storerooms. There's not enough. There's, it's not, their storerooms aren't sufficient enough to hold the blessings that God would pour out on them. There's also a couple of different New Testament Hebrew words translated to be sufficient. One being is hikanos, meaning competent, as if coming in season, or that is ample, as in amount, or fit, as in character, able, content, enough, Good, great, large, many, meat, much, security, sore, sufficient, worthy. Used as it is in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for thee. Or as it is used in Mark 17, where it says, And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latches of whose shoes I am not worthy. There's that word worthy is, is the same word. To stoop down and unloose. He's not worthy. He's not sufficient. Mark felt himself not sufficient. You and I feel the same way. We're not sufficient. With that understanding of the word, let's look to our Lord's recorded word to see his grace and how it suffices his people. I've used many a time the Lord's grace in dealing with Jonah. So for this study, I want to wish, I wish to take a look at a couple of others. Consider the day our Lord spoke to Abraham in Genesis 17, 15 through 19. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. Now, Sarai is uh, a dominant, a dominant woman. Sarah is a princess. So the Lord has changed the name of Sarai to Sarah, shall be her name, and I will bless her and give thee a son also of her, Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah? Notice that he didn't call her Sarah again. Notice what he called her, Sarah. Exactly what the Lord instructed him to do. That, in, that is ninety years old bear. And Abram said, unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. So we read these words on the conversation with God and Abraham. Was not this birth of a woman past the age of conception an act of our Lord's grace? Or, or, or could you ask the question this way? Was God's grace sufficient for such a thing? Abraham did not think so at first. No, he laughed. But that did not diminish the character of God's grace one bit. Abraham didn't believe at first. He laughed about it. But it didn't diminish God's character one bit, did it? Aren't you thankful that God's grace does not depend on our faith? Continuing with Abraham, let's go a little further. Abraham has been taught a, of God a few things now. He has grown in the Lord's grace and in the knowledge of his Savior. 
We read in John chapter 8, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So God has been teaching Abraham a few things now. And we come to Genesis chapter 22, beginning at verses 1 and 2, And it came to pass, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, the very one that, he was, that God was talking about Abraham a moment ago, take thy only son. Did you notice he didn't say anything about Ishmael? He said, Thy only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, how do you think Abraham thought about that? Now, we don't know, so we don't, want to, we don't want to guess too far with that, but I can imagine my own self. I can imagine how I would feel. If it weren't for the God's grace doing a work in me, I'm sure I would be kind of like, well, wait a minute, this is the son you promised me. But let's not forget what God also promised with Abraham, that son. He also promised that in that son would be many nations. In that son, another part of the scripture, I don't think we read that, the seed, the Savior would come through that seed. So Abraham had an idea here about something with, about the Lord's promises for a burnt offering, one of the mountains which I tell you. So Abraham has been promised that through Isaac, through his seed, would come the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Anointed One, who would deliver his people from their iniquity. In Genesis 22 again, verses 3 through 6, we read, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So what Abraham had been taught of God to this point had been to believe God, to trust the Lord. Abraham had been through many other things through, the, through his time. But here the Lord has told him, and Abraham says, we're going to return again to you. Because he's been shown who God is just as you and I have been shown the truth of who the God is. He's God Almighty of everything that is. Nothing, nothing is outside the hand of our God. And if he promises something, it's going to come to pass. Period. Page 5. And Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Now I ask you, was God's grace sufficient for Abraham? You bet it was. Was Abraham's faith, where was Abraham's faith? Was it not in God's word, the word of his grace? Was it not the promises? Was it not the power to fulfill those promises? Where else could it have been? Abraham knew it could not be of himself. Only God can raise the dead to life. And that's exactly what Abraham believed. God had the power to do so and he promised it and he would do so. In verses 7 through 28, I don't think that 2 is supposed to, I think I, I think a typo there, that's supposed to be 7 and 8. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. 
But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both, so they went, both of them, together. And we know the rest of this story. The Lord provided a ram caught in the thicket by his horns, a picture of the all-powerful son of the Most High, Jesus Christ himself. Folks, our faith may be weak or it may be strong. It has no bearing on the graciousness of our God. One of the many names that declare the Lord for who He is is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will see or the Lord will provide. All of this story is a declaration of the sufficiency of God's grace. If it weren't for the Lord's grace, Abraham would have died with no son of promise. Folks, this is the bottom line of His grace. God became a man. He didn't have to do that, yet he did have to do it. What do you mean? What, what do you mean, John? What do I mean by that? God is God. That's what I mean, and he's not bound by anything other than himself. Whatever he does is or thinks is right. If he had chosen to do away with man and go a different direction, that would be right, because he's God, and because there is a price for sin. He had to become a man to fulfill his own law, to establish a righteousness for the unrighteous whom the Father gave him from before the world was. He had to save his loved ones from their sins. He had to shed his own blood to ransom us from the bondage of death. He had to be holy in all that he did so as to conquer that death. That's grace. And because it is of him as it is, with everything about him, page 6, it is sufficient. It is enough. It is ample in the amount. It is fit in his character to fill its intended purpose. Another of God's saints dealing with the perils of this world, Job. He had much of this world, and the Lord brought testing to Job, allowing Satan to take his sons and daughters and servants, all but one, and again, the Lord allowed Satan to take Job's livestock. And again, the Lord allowed Satan to afflict Job's flesh with boils and such. Yet by God's free and sovereign grace was Job delivered from all that worldly pain. Our Lord doesn't always deliver us by healing. I, I'm, I'm speaking ad-lib now. And I want to step away from our handouts for just a moment. Our Lord does not always deliver us from our trials by healing us from the pains of this flesh. Sometimes our Lord takes us from this world. Our brother Bill Silva, we all know the day he left, the Lord took him from this world, Bill left all the pains of cancer behind, all the pains of not being able to speak clearly behind. All the pains of being alone in this world with, with no one to love other, other than his church family behind. Sometimes the Lord delivers us by taking us from this world. That's important. I want you to consider that. Going on, third paragraph from the top of page 6. And the word of the Lord tells us this. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Notice what he did. Notice what he did. He, he humbled himself. He abased himself. He got down to the ground of where he was worthy to be and worshipped the one who deserves worshipping. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, 
and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That's in Job 1, verse 20 and 22. Why did this man charge God? Why did, why did not this man charge God in foolishness for what had happened? What, what made this man different? Who maketh this man different? We know God is the one who makes us different. But what was it that made him different? God's grace is sufficient. That's what made him different. The grace of God towards his people. God's grace is what kept him. God's grace is what did not let him turn from the truth to a lie of self, to the lie of I. In Job 13, 14, and 15, he says, Where do I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, speaking of the Lord God Almighty, yet will I trust in him. Though my trials are as raging waters, I will trust that he is the Lord. Whatever he allows is right. His grace is sufficient to get me through it. Even if that means taking me from this world. Even if that means taking a loved one from whatever my Lord chooses to exercise his grace in my life. It's right. The Apostle Paul states this. He says, For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Romans 14, 7 through 9. Now one last thing that points us to his sufficiency. Our commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now before I begin on page 7, the reason I want to bring this up is because there, I get bombarded all the time, and I've shared this with you. All of God's ministers do. People send out blanket advertising just because there's the word church or, or, or religious phrase Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or whatever. We get all these advertisements. We can help you build your church. We can do this. We can, we can go about guiding uh, you in how to make a better website to attract people. Those who trust in those kinds of things get exactly what they expect. More people. And that's it. I didn't say more Christians. I didn't say more of those who believe. I said you get, you get more people. They get lots of people. Lots of people. Their coffers grow in huge amounts. Their churches are built bigger and bigger and better. Huge churches. They get more people, but that's it. Only by God's grace are there those who are added to the church daily, such as, should, such as those who should be saved. Only by God's sovereign free grace. Men can speak till their face turns blue, yet it must be God who makes the word effectual in cold, dead hearts. I, again, I want to stop because that, that, that brings me back to the memory of when the Lord called me out of darkness. I never saw a heart so cold and so dead until the day the Lord gave life to it. I never understood what it meant to be dead in trespasses and sin until the Lord pointed it out to this man who stands before you how much I was in in involved in the sin of life. Only God can make his word effectual in cold hearts. Paragraph 2, page 7. Every preacher, God's preachers that is, know the only power in our message is the power of the Holy Spirit 
the result of his sufficient grace. We read from 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves, says Paul, to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. That was Paul's biggest fear. He was, he was afraid that men would start to follow after his words. His words. Not the word of God that he was preaching, but his own words of eloquence. He, thought, he was afraid that he would be winning uh, men over for him rather than God winning men over themselves. Lest the Christ of Christ should be made of none effect, he says in verse 17. Verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, Unto God's people by His grace which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, verse 19, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Folks, there are people who have studied God's Word so much, they put caps on so that people will know they're leaders of some church somewhere. They wear these big, beautiful robes. They can quote Scripture perfectly without even looking at the Bible. They've read it so many times they know it by heart, but they have no heart to know it. To them, the cross is foolishness. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The Jews of that day were the most religious people walking this earth. They were the wisest people in religion on the entire earth. And yet their wisdom meant absolutely nothing. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's what Paul's talking about up here in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, the words of men, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. That's what he's talking about. We preach Christ, back in 23, crucified and the Jews, unto the Jews a stumbling block. Now I skipped verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, unto those who have had the grace of God shined in the new heart, those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, it doesn't say none, it says not many are called. Verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Page 8. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught these, the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We glory in him. We glory in his grace. 
We glory in the fact that through, by His grace, He became flesh. God didn't have to do that, folks. But He's loved the people from before anything else was ever created, before the world was. And because He has loved that people, He chose the wise thing to do, and that would be to shine His grace in their hearts. How? The best way He knows, save them from their sins. I shouldn't have said the best way He knows. Folks, our Lord knows the way our Lord thinks is the best of everything. The right way that He knows is to save us from our sins. We glory in what He's done, and that's exactly what He's done. He said it is finished on that cross. Brother brother Kevin Thacker brought a message last Wednesday night, the haves and the have-nots. I I tell you, if you haven't listened to that message, go to Sermon Audio, pull it up and listen to it. What a fantastic, wonderful message. A message I needed to hear that very moment. The haves and have-nots, Wednesday night. We glory in what our Lord has done. We glory in what who He is, is, and we glory in where He is this very moment. And we do that because of His grace working in us. That's the that's one of the, the most clearest things in our minds, those who have been given the sight to see the truth. A clearest thing in my mind is this that if it wasn't for God, I'd still be on that path to destruction. If it wasn't for His grace, I'd still be wandering around in this world in darkness on my way to hell, what I deserved. We do that. We glory in Him this very moment because of His grace working in us. Sufficient grace. And I want to close with 2 Corinthians 1, verses 7 through 10. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, whether it be the sufferings of this world, the sufferings of your flesh, the sufferings of the sin within you, so also the consolation. What is the consolation of knowing the trials, that these trials are actually trials sent our way of God? What is the consolation of knowing that there's sin in this flesh that still needs to be battled and that the Lord has won that battle? Consolation is that He has won the battle. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves, lest we should boast. For we would not, goes on to say, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. Paul was pressed so hard above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Paul was wanting the Lord to take him right there, take him from this life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. I ask you again, is God's grace sufficient for you? And let me answer it for you. If you belong to him, it will be sufficient. It is sufficient. And he'll make it so. Amen.